0: Uh, very thankful to uh, uh, open God's Word with you. So uh, why don't you take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 145. Uh, psalm 145 is uh, where we'll be. Uh, this is a psalm uh, that I've turned to often over the years. Uh, it's one of my favorite psalms to read. And uh, if I've ever uh, come to visit people at the hospital, this is likely one of the psalms uh, that I would turn to, Psalm 145. It's one of those psalms that's just very comprehensive in its scope, uh, broad in its application, touches on so many different aspects of life, of theology. Really a, a psalm that's appropriate uh, for all kinds of occasions. Uh, it's actually been observed uh, that Psalm 145 was recited three times every day in the Jewish liturgy. Uh, there was actually a, a Jewish rabbi who declared that reciting this psalm three times each day guaranteed a person entry into the world to come. It's, it's not true, uh, but, uh, but it was a psalm that was often uh, recited. And the, the broad nature of the psalm is also reflected in the way that it's composed. Uh, if you were to read through the psalm in Hebrew, uh, you would actually notice that each verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and that would reinforce this idea uh, that the author is trying to give this broad and comprehensive praise to God, the psalm of, of David. Some commentators uh, would call this uh, a psalm of praise from A to Z, or an alphabet of glory. Uh, But there's also this recognition that even in this attempt to give a a full praise to God, that we still come short of all that needs to be said about our great God. Because his praise goes on forever and ever. In uh, Psalm 145 and verse 1, it says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name Forever and ever. This is this is eternal praise that you go up to God. In verse 2, every day I will bless you. Verse 21 says, All flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. And also in verse 4, it lets us know that one generation is not enough, not sufficient, to praise this great God. That this is the kind of praise that needs to be continued from one generation to the next. In verse 4, it says, One generation shall praise your works to another. And then verse 13, it says his dominion endures throughout all generations. So this full praise to God is not a complete praise. Now, verse three says that his, his greatness is unsearchable, that, that you can't get to the end of the greatness of our God. And even this acrostic, like I said, it, it goes through the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, but if you're familiar with the Hebrew alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet actually has 22 letters. But if you look at the psalm, Psalm 145, it stops at verse 21. And, and what it does is it lets us know that, that even in this acrostic, there's a letter that's missing uh, in the original text, which just lets you know that there's even more to be said about this great God. That even this, this psalm itself is not enough to say all that needs to be said about the greatness of this God. His greatness is truly past finding out. So it's too infinite to wrap our minds around. It's, it's too limitless to get to the bottom of, it's, it's the height, it's insurmountable when we think about the praise that belongs to this great God. It's truly incomprehensible. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way, that there is but one only living and true God who is among his other attributes, incomprehensible, incomprehensible. And by that, they didn't mean that, that God can't be known. We, we can know true things about God, but we can't know all that there is to know about God. We can't know God exhaustively. And one of the the passages that the confession of faith would have pointed to would have been Psalm 145 in verse 3, which says that his greatness is unsearchable. Romans 11, verse 33, speaks about the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. You can't reach the bottom of his wisdom. In Job chapter 9 and verse 10, it says that he does things unfathomable, And wondrous works without number, we can't calculate the extent of his praise. One of Job's friends, so far had a correct theology. He just applied it wrongly. But he asked this question in Job 11 in verse 7. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? I mean, eternity isn't long enough to find the extremities of this God. There are no boundaries. We can't wrap our arms around the greatness of this God. And there's a couple of pictures that really show us how finite we really are. You know, there, there's those, those illustrations in life. You know, there's those periods in life. When you, when you just really feel the sense of just how small you are in comparison to the greatness of God. And even the, the creation itself points to that. For example, you can stand on the, the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. Can't see the end of it. Just kind of fades off into the horizon. It's estimated that the Atlantic Ocean alone, just the Atlantic ocean alone has 80 million cubic miles of water. So if you were to take a box a mile high, a mile wide, a mile deep, and you fill that box 80 million times with water, you still wouldn't drain the Atlantic ocean. And Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, imagine placing not just the Atlantic ocean, but every ocean on the planet and being able to put all of it just in a little space in your hand, just cup your hand and you can fit it all there. And you start to get an idea of how vast God is. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says he measured the the waters. He measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Another example is the vastness of of space. You know, imagine gazing up into the endless skies, multiple solar systems, galaxies. Sometime tonight, you know, you can take a look at the the stars. An article by NASA has an answer for how big our universe is. And this is their answer for it. We don't know. My my father-in-law told me that he can answer any question. You know, ask me any question. I don't know. That's an answer, right? You know, that's NASA's answer. How how big is the universe? We don't know. The distance of what we're able to observe, according to one estimate, is 93 billion light years across. That's just what you can observe. So if you were able to, to travel the speed of light for 93 billion years, you would just reach the end of what we can see. That's just what we can see. Just just imagine what we can't see. How great is your God? And then if you imagine the the vastness of space and being able to to measure it all just by by going like that, from the tip of your pinky to the tip of your thumb. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, He marked off the heavens by the span. (laughs) The span of the hand. Just gives you an idea of how great your God is. God is incomprehensible. We can't know all there is to know about this God, but we can know things that are true about this God. We can't say all that there is about this God, but we need to be saying something about this God, right? We need to say things that are true. We need to speak about this God. And this is what Psalm 145 points us to, that we need to to extol this God. A number of different verbs that are used to, to speak about how we, we declare the greatness of our God. We extol him, we bless him, we praise him. He's highly to be praised. We declare, we speak, we tell, we utter, we shout, we give thanks, we make known, we bless. 19 times in this Psalm we're told to say something. Something needs to be said about this great God. Every person, every generation, every place, every period of time, forever and ever, this God is to be praised. And that's what this psalm is titled. It's titled a psalm of praise. It's the last psalm of of David. It's the only psalm in the entire book of the psalms that's specifically titled the psalm of praise. And each of the the following psalms, if you were to take a look at the uh, end of your Bible here in uh, Psalm 145, it says it's titled the psalm of praise. But then when you look at the rest of the Psalter, Psalm 146, look at verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Look at Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. Look at Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Look at Psalm 149. Praise the Lord, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song in His praise in the congregation of the godly ones. And then Psalm 150 is just filled with it. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. And then in verse 6, let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it begins with Psalm 145, just this crescendo of praise that goes up to our great God. And the Psalm here, Psalm 145, is just bracketed by the praise of God. In verse 1, I will extol you, my God, O King, I will bless your name forever and ever. And then you look down in verse 21. All flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever, just bracketed by praise to God. And uh, the time that we have this morning won't be enough to say all that there is to say about this psalm. Uh, I kind of feel like uh, uh, the illustration that, Mark, uh, that John MacArthur used. He said it's like the, the boy who wanted to show uh, his friends at home, you know, what the sea looked like. So he scooped the bucket up of water and brought it home. It's like, you know, there's not enough to to show all that there is to to show. But I, I just hope I don't tip my bucket over. So let's take a look at Psalm 145. I'll start at verse one. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness, and I will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in love and kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this morning and uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, open up this text to us, Lord. Help us to, to behold wondrous things as we think and meditate upon you and upon your greatness. And Father, I pray that you would uh, you know, use me, Lord, as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, this, uh, this is a psalm about praise. And uh, verses 1 through 7 primarily deal with the believer's personal commitment to praise God. Uh, the phrase, I will, is used six times in verses 1 through 7, to speak about the personal commitment to praise. And then starting in verse 8 down through verse 21, it speaks about the universal obligation to praise. Uh, it speaks about how the Lord is good to all, verse 9, that all works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, in verse 10. So it speaks about this universal obligation to praise God as well. So uh, that'll be the broad outline, uh, the, the personal uh, commitment to praise and the universal obligation to praise. Uh, but there's a, a couple of components underneath each of these. Uh, Number one, underneath the believer's personal commitment to praise, we find this this individual commitment. Verses one and two. I will scold you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless your name and I will praise your name forever and ever. As we've already noted, this psalm is written by who? By David. It says it right there at at the the beginning in the the superscription up there, a psalm of, of David. And here David speaks about God and he calls him, Oh, king, David himself is a king. There's no higher king than, than David in, in Israel. But when David praises God, he recognizes God as my king. He recognizes God as the king of, of kings. In another Psalm, in Psalm 110, uh, David speaks about the Messiah, and he calls the Messiah his Lord. This is my king. This is my Lord. This is my, my God. And David recognized his, his true place was beneath this great king. David didn't understand himself as being the most exalted king, the most exalted Lord. Something like uh, what John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. He understood his position beneath God. Uh, That word extol is a a word that means to to lift high. When he says, I will extol you, my God, my king, and I will bless your name is a a word that means to be brought low, to kneel before. So basically what David is saying is that, that, Lord, I lift you high and I get low. You're high, I'm low, and I will publicly acknowledge that fact before you. I am low, you are high. David is saying if anyone is getting recognition, it's going to be our God. And he doesn't hide his acknowledgement of the Lord's greatness. And again, he needs to say something about how great this God is. He's the delight of David's heart to speak about this God. And how often does he speak about God? Look at verse 2. Every day. Every day I will bless you. The duration is, is as long as I'm alive, as long as I have breath, I praise the Lord. So what's on your calendar for today? You know what should be on your calendar? Praising God. <laughs> what's on your calendar for tomorrow? Same thing. <laughs> it's, it's not just on, uh, you know, the, the, the fourth th- th- Thursday in November, right? Or third th- th- Thursday. What is it? The Third th- Thursday? Third Thursday, right? Third Thursday. That's not the only time that we, we uh, bless God. It's every day that we bless God. Every day, God is worthy of, of praise. Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And do you know what that means? That means that if I'm praising God every day, it doesn't matter what the day brings. You get that? It doesn't matter what the day brings. You know, I, could, I could have a horrible day tomorrow, but guess what? God is still worthy of being praised. Every day I will praise you. This is not an occasional or seasonal commitment to praise God. You know, I learned a, a new term a couple of years ago. It's the, the term "creaster." Anybody ever heard that one? You know, the people who show up just for Christmas and Easter to church, creesters. <laughs> it's not a seasonal commitment. <laughs> you know, it's not just around Christmas and Easter that I praise God. It's every day I praise God. Every day. David makes this, this commitment to praise God individually. And he also speaks about this generational commitment commitment, that he passes this on. Look at verses three and four. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. A generation was considered the span of a uh, a man's life from uh, his birth until the birth of his son. It was the circuit of life. Uh, In the book of Deuteronomy, it was a a period of 40 years. Uh, But what we're to pass off from one generation to the next is not a legacy of of doubt in God, like the Israelites did. Uh, We're to pass on a legacy of praise and wonder. Look at verse three again. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. That word unsearchable means literally there is no exploration, no searching. It's, It's not saying that you can't try to search it out. It's that you won't be successful in searching it out. God is too vast to search out. And my question for you is what kind of, God, are you passing off to the next generation? Are you passing off a God that can be found out, searched out, we can figure them out? A simple God who, you know, all he wants you to do is obey the rules and, you know, you'll get rewarded for doing what's right, maybe go to heaven in the end. Or, Or have you set your sons and daughters on a journey that is so vast, so deep, so extraordinary that they'll never be able to accomplish it within this lifetime? God is past finding out. Have you sent them on a never-ending journey to discover God? And what sticks out to me in the psalm is it's not just information about God that we're passing along, but it's an exaltation of God that we're passing along. It's not just a cold list of facts. It's the, the greatness of our God that we're passing along. From one generation to the next, we're passing along that our God is awesome. And my question for you is, is that the kind of God that you talk about? Is that the guy that's being passed on from one generation to the next? Do you talk about a God who's eternal? As far back in time as you want to go, he's still there. A couple billion years more, he's still there. Always existed. Never had a birthday. Always was. Never changed. I mean, that, that's enough to make your brain hurt, right? <laughs> you know, I can think about something being here and maybe lasting, but like something that never had a beginning? Like, that's the kind of God that we're talking about, a God who is eternal. Do do you send them on this never-ending journey of of a God who is limitless in his power? You know, whatever he thinks, he can create just by speaking it. I mean, imagine that. The entire universe, just by saying, let there be. No pre-existing matter to to work with. No power outside of himself. Self-sufficient. NASA says there's uh, somewhere between 100 and... 100 billion to 400 billion stars just in our galaxy alone, just in our galaxy, the Milky Way, which is one of among trillions of galaxies. And it shows up like a footnote in Genesis 116. Oh, yeah, he made the stars also. It's just like that. I mean, it's just incredible to think about the power of God. Do you talk about a God who knows absolutely everything? Counts the hairs of our heads, knows every sparrow that falls to the ground, Calls out the stars by name. He knows all there is to know. And uh, and this is what blows my mind. Not that that's not enough, but he knows all that there could be to know. Not just all the actualities, but all the possibilities. Like if things were different, this is how things would have been. Like that's the kind of God that we worship. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus says, if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained until this day. It didn't happen, but I'm telling you what would have happened if that did happen. I, I know everything. I mean, that's the kind of God that we bow down before. That's the kind of God that you should be passing along to your children. That this is a God that you can't figure out. He's unsearchable, but this is the greatest search of your life. To, 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 to know this God. There's a collective commitment to praise. Look at verse 5. It says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wonderful works, I'll meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. And I say this is a, a collective commitment to praise because David here bounces back and forth between himself and men. This is what I say, this is what men say, and it's like, like it's just like this ping pong going back and forth. This is why I call it a collective commitment to praise. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, I will tell. Of your greatness. Not only is there this collection of praise, it's like this piling on of praise. It's glorious splendor, wonderful acts, awesome acts, abundant goodness, heightening of of praise. Look at the progression. Verse five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. That's a a personal reflection that becomes vocal. It's actually a word that, that means to mutter, you know, to kind of talk to yourself. You know, you ever do that? You know, just you're, maybe you're trying to memorize something and you're just kind of like, you know, saying it out loud. Like that's the uttering. I'm, I'm meditating on your works. Like it's going over in my mind and I just, you know, just kind of, you know, meditating on it, speaking it out loud, muttering it. It's an idea that becomes vocal. But this goes from kind of this muttering of, of praise that, you know, on the glorious splendor of your majesty on your wonderful works, I will meditate. It goes from that to, to Speaking. Verse 6, men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your, your greatness. You know, it goes from this kind of personal, individual reflection to saying now, now I'm in a group and I'm I'm speaking it out loud. You know, with, with, when men speak about it, it's like I, I can't help but to join in, to, to add to the praise that belongs to God. I'm eager to jump into spiritual conversations. I'm eager to bless God. And then by the time you get to, to verse 7, I mean, the volume's turned up. Verse 7, they shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness, and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. You know, this eagerly utter, it's like a, a, a bubbling brook, a flowing stream. It can't be contained. It's just, it's just got to come out. And it, and it just breaks forth into this shout. I will shout of this. There's a song I remember uh, uh, singing back in the day when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me. My soul cries out, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank God for saving me. I mean, that's the kind of, Shout, I can't contain it. It's reflected in this joyful shouting. Quiet meditation turns into speaking of his greatness that that just breaks forth into the shout, joyful shout of who our king is. All creatures of our God and king. Lift up your voice, right? And with us saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. And this is where we transition from the believer's personal commitment to this universal obligation, a universal obligation obligation. We'll try to move through this quickly. But there's four categories that David moves through in this section. And uh, we could really camp out on on each one of these. But uh, why should men be obligated to praise this great God? First of all, there's a testimony of his character. Look at verses 8 and 9. Why should we praise this God? Why are we obligated to praise? Verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. The character of our God should be enough to obligate men to praise him. We call these uh, characteristics attributes of God. And we're not free to simply imagine God's character, be, character to be whatever, whatever we think it might be. I like what uh, A.W. Tozer said. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? And do you allow God to define himself from Scripture? Do me a favor, flip back to uh, the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus. Because actually, this description of God that we find in Psalm 145 is actually a, a recitation of what we find in the, in the book of, of Exodus. And uh, we'll be, I'll start in uh, Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32. If you remember, uh, Moses came down from the, the mountain, Mount Sinai, and Israel's at the bottom of the hill already playing the harlot, worshiping false gods, the golden calf. Moses was furious and you know smashed the, the tablets, the, the, the bits, ground it into powder, scattered it over the water, forced the children of Israel to drink it, already involved in breaking the first and second commandments. The Levites slaughtered 3,000 men of the Israelites. And then in chapter 32, find in verse 30, it says, On the next day, Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin. And now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. And the rest of chapter 32 and then the chapter 33, Moses is interceding on behalf of the the people of of God. Chapter 33 and verse 3, this is where God speaks back to Moses. Listen to this. God says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you're an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard the sad word, they went into mourning. None of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, had said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now, therefore, put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I shall do with you. And Moses remains at the bottom of Sinai begging the Lord on behalf of the people, Don't send us away without your presence. <laughs> I, I don't want to go into the promised land unless you're with us. Don't send us away, Lord. And then, in chapter 33 and verse 14, God promises that his presence shall go. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. I'll go up with you, Moses. Even though these people are obstinate, they're rebellious, but you've interceded, I'll go with you, Moses. And then after this, Moses dares to ask him a question that no man has dared to ask. Verse 18, listen to what he says. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. It's incredible. Incredible. Show me your glory. The glory of the Lord had already been revealed in a, in kind of a, a shaded way. You know, he, he's seen in the the burning bush. He's seen in the cloud. But but Moses says, "Can I can I see more? Like like I I just want a little bit more of a, a reassurance. I know you said you'll be with me, but can I see your glory? Can I peer behind the cloud to see the unveiled manifestation of that glory?" God says, you can't see that and live. (laughs) You can't see me and live. But God does agree to allow his unveiled presence to pass by Moses. Look at chapter 33, verse 19. So then he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And then in chapter 34, the greatest display of God's glory prior to the incarnation was seen. Look at verse, verse 5. It says, The Lord descended in the clouds, stood there with the messy, called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Same, same words that we find over in Psalm 145. But what I don't want you to miss is this. Think about this. The glory of God was so lethal that if it showed up without any barrier in between, that it would have been enough to incinerate Moses, right? He says, you can't see that and live. But at the same time that this lethal presence is passing by Moses, that would have been enough to kill him. What is God saying at the same time? I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in loving kindness and truth. Moses, I could kill you right now. (laughs) You have to see my glory. I'm allowing it to pass by your presence and this glory would be enough to kill you, Moses. But I'm a God who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and kindness and truth. Well, why do we even live today? Why are you breathing today? <laughs> it's because God is gracious, because God is compassionate, because God is merciful. And that should be enough for you to praise God. You understand that? It should be enough for you to praise God. It's only by God's compassion that Moses did not die. And it's only by God's compassion that any of us live. God holds back his righteous anger that could rightly fall upon us. We deserve that. And for those of us who are believers, God has allowed that wrath to fall upon who? Upon Jesus Christ. (laughs) God has allowed that wrath to fall upon Jesus Christ. We need to be those who praise our God. Flip back to Psalm 145. The characteristics of God, his attributes should be enough to draw men to praise him. How else do you explain that God allows his enemies to live? <laughs> this, this is the greatness of our God. That should be enough to obligate men to praise God. Number two, we're also obligated to praise God because of his majestic works. Take a look at uh, verse, verse 10. It says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, talk of your power, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts, the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. We have this sovereign God. And everywhere we look on the planet, we see his handiwork, his sovereignty. We give thanks, we give praise to God. And what David is pointing out here is that every work of creation has the fingerprints of God on it. The the universe gives us a reason to acknowledge God and give him thanks. Everything that's been made, All your work shall give thanks to you. Everything that you've made. I remember I was on a a plane one time and uh, sitting next to a guy who told me that he was an atheist. I told him I didn't believe him. God doesn't believe in atheists. Romans 1, right? (laughs) He says, I'm an atheist. I said, I don't don't, don't believe you. He says, oh, no, I'm an atheist. I I said, well, you know, I I don't believe you. He says, well, can you give me proof for, for your God? You know, you say you believe in God. Can you give me proof? Where do you want me to begin? <laughs> you know, where do you want me to begin? The, the laws that keep this plane from falling out of the sky are attributed to God. The material that this plane is made out of, that's God. The, the snacks that are coming down the aisle to feed you, even though you're not acknowledging that there's a God, that comes from God. The fact that we're sitting here having this conversation and making sense, that's God. The knowledge of God that you're actively trying to suppress is also evidence of God. So give me your proof for atheism. <laughs> Nothing plus chance equals everything. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. You can't give me an excuse for atheism, even though many people try. Everything that's been made, all of God's creation points back to him. Every galaxy, every law, every strand of DNA, every species of animal, every element on the earth, all the works of God give a platform to proclaim the greatness of this God. And I don't want you to miss that God's creation points back to his sovereign rule over it. He's the ruler over it. All your works shall give thanks to you. Your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your what? Your kingdom. You're in charge. The God who created is also the God who's in charge of it all. And we can learn about God and his, his power, his sovereignty, just from the things that have been made. And we are obligated to praise him. We're obligated to praise him. He deserves all thanksgiving. The one who made all things is worthy of all glory. The one who made all things is God who's all powerful. They shall talk of your power. He's the one who's the king. He's over it. He's the eternal one. The God who made all things is deserving of all worship, sovereign, and is not in danger of going out of existence. He is eternal. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. Why should you praise God? Because of everything that he's made. It all points back to him as the creator, as the king. And also there's the testimony of God's provision. Look at verses 14 to 17. The Lord sustains all who fall, raises up who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The doctrine of, of providence teaches us that God is constantly sustaining, preserving, governing his creation. There's nothing that falls outside of his, his reach Uh, Job 12 and verse 10 asked the question, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? The obvious answer is that we all belong to God. The God is the one who sustains us. The the food that we eat, the the air that we breathe, it it all comes back to God. And it's not just the sun that shines, but it's, it's God who causes the sun to shine. It's not just the rain that falls, but God who waters the earth. It's not just the birds who eat, but it's God who feeds them. Every time we're sustained, every time we we pick up a a, a grain of food, it's because God has provided. And in verse 14, it says he sustains all. He raises up all who are bowed down. Back in uh, April of 2020, when the the curve for COVID began to flatten in New York, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo asserted God did not do that. He says faith did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. That's how it works. It's math. Our behavior has stopped the spread of the virus, he said. God did not stop the spread of the virus. But his behavior definitely got him kicked out of office in 2021. I mean, everything goes back to him, right? The other day, my, my wife made a, a left turn instead of a right. Uh, she was uh, I think she was heading to her mother's house. She made a left turn instead of a right. She turned the corner and made the left, came back around, did a U-turn. And by the time she got to that same corner, there was an accident right there on that same intersection. Same intersection that she would have been turning right on. That is the same intersection within, I mean, the 30 seconds that it took her to turn around, that same intersection, massive accident right there. Who who, who did that? That's God who does that, right? We, we, We give God credit for absolutely everything. He's over it all. He's sovereign over it all. God aids us in sickness and distress. He's responsible for our daily bread. Verse 15 says, The eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. You're you're the God who feeds us. (laughs) You're the one who does that. You know, some some of you have uh, have pets. And uh, you, you think they just love you so much, you know. They're they're thinking about you right now. You know, I I just know I have this wonderful relationship with, you know, my dogs back home. They just they just love me. But uh, what's happening is your pets have associated you with their next meal. (laughs) (laughs) And now they look to you with expectancy that you're going to open your hand and that treat's going to drop down. They lock their eyes on you and you look at them and you just say, oh, you just love me so much. And the whole time they're just thinking, feed me, feed me, feed me, right? They've made the association between you and their comfort. Between you and their next meal. But you know what the sad thing is? There's a lot of people running around today that have not made the association between their next meal and God. That God is the one who feeds me. That I need to look to him expectantly. That you're the provider. That you're the one who sustains me. Sad thing. Animals can get it that this person feeds me, this is the hand that feeds me, but we don't get it to say that God is the one that feeds me. He's the one who sustains my life. Acts 14.7 says, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. It's God who gives us our daily bread. Do you acknowledge the kindness of God and everything that he's provided? Because we rob God when we don't give him praise. And finally, why are we obligated to give praise to God? Why is God great? Why is he greatly to be praised? Why are we obligated to give praise to this God? Because of the testimony of God's salvation. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their crying, well what? Save them. Save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. And there's something that you might not have picked up on at the beginning of this psalm. But in Psalm 145, in verse 1, listen to what David says. This is David's personal declaration of praise. He says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name how long? Forever. Forever and ever. David, how is that going to happen? (laughs) How are you going to be able to bless God forever and ever? Are you going to live forever? You know what the answer is? Yep. Yep. Forever and ever, I will praise you. This is actually an Old Testament example of hope in heaven. David believed in eternal life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever. There's the hope of eternal life, even in the Old Testament. And the people who will bless the name of the Lord forever and ever are those who call upon him. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. Call upon the name of the Lord, right? And you will be saved. To call upon the Lord is a common synonym for prayer. Frequently used to call upon the Lord for for, uh, safety from danger and distress. And you know the greatest enemy that we need to be saved from is death. (laughs) It's coming a a time that we will all die. And actually, let me back up. The greater enemy that we need to be saved from is God himself, (laughs) right? Because the Bible says without entering into a relationship with God, that you're an enemy of God. We need to be saved from God himself. And here, David calls upon the name of the Lord and says, all who call upon him will be saved. He draws near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He draws near to them. And we could multiply the examples of the Lord saving us from physical dangers, but we also need to be saved from spiritual dangers as well. We need to be saved from our sin, from death, from the enemy of our souls, from Satan. Rescued from the wrath of God. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. The Lord also fulfills the desire of those who fear him. In verse 19, he will fulfill the desire of those who who fear him. And we've already seen in this context the provision for our our physical needs, but we also have a a spiritual need and our need is for God himself. In Psalm 73, it says, Whom have I in heaven but, but thee? And on earth I desire nothing else besides thee. We have a need for God. It says that the Lord hears those who cry to Him. If you call upon God in truth and sincerity, He'll hear you. And He'll also hear you if you cry out to Him for the forgiveness of your sins. In Psalm 51, in verse 16, it says, You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering, the sacrifices of God, or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You will not turn away from me if I call out to you in sincerity. And then it also lets us know that the Lord keeps those who love him. Keeps those who love him. And what's that contrasted with? It's contrasted with the wicked that he will destroy. That's the two paths. Either you're kept by the Lord or you are destroyed by the Lord. It's one of the two. And transgressors will be destroyed. Those who refuse to acknowledge the God above them are those who are the wicked who will be destroyed. In Psalm 1, it says the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away and the wicked will not stand in the judgment. The Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And what's the contrast between living forever and dying forever? That's the contrast. David, David expects to live forever. I will bless your name forever and ever. But the wicked are those that he will destroy. Those wicked who do not call upon the name of the Lord, who refuse to give him honor. What category do you belong to? Do you call upon the name of the Lord? Have you trusted in the Lord for your salvation? Have you called upon him in truth? And do you recognize him as the the God to whom belongs all praise and thanks? Do you bless his name? That's that's the question I have for you. Do you bless his name? Have you joined in the praise and are you inviting others to join in the praise? Like, is it contagious, you know, that everybody's going to know about this great God around me? I was uh, coming back home uh, from California, I was on a, on a flight, and I was sitting next to this this lady who was on my right side by the window. And, uh, you know, I thought that at first she might have been charismatic or something, because the whole time she's going, yes, 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 that's right, that's right. And I look over, and she's watching the Green Bay Packers on her screen, <laughs> just waving her hands in praise, yes, yes, yes. And then I look down, and I, I noticed that uh, there was a, something moving, like down by her feet. And there was like this little little bag, this little dog in a bag, you know, had this little carry on a dog in the bag. And I looked through the mesh on the top and through the mesh, I could see that the dog had a Green Bay Packers jersey on. (laughs) It was contagious praise. You know, everybody's going to praise the Green Bay Packers with me. And the dog had no choice in the matter. You know, he's going to put on the Green Bay Packers jersey. Because we all know that if he had a choice, it would have been a Ravens jersey that he had on. (laughs) No choice in the matter. Everybody's going to praise the Green Bay Packers in my household. And uh, my question for you is, is the praise of God contagious? Like like the people that you run across is like, no, everybody's praising this guy. Everybody needs to praise this guy. Do you understand why you have to praise this guy? Are you passing it off from one generation to the next to to pass down not just information about God, but the exaltation of your great God, the greatness of your God. That's, that's the kind of God that we come before and we bless, amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you, God, so much for uh, this meditation. my uh, Father, I pray that you'd help us to grow in our exaltation of this great God. In Jesus' name, we praise you and give you thanks, amen.